Welcome back to Legend of the Glorio Heroes. We're coming to you with the hot takes hot off the galactic presses on the latest and greatest going-ons of the legendary 1988 OVA. Sweating maybe, under the Maybe collar. not the latest, but uh, <coughs> certainly the greatest so certainly far. Certainly the greatest, yes, yes. Um, yes, Sweating Under the Collar is your host, G, and with me, as always... <laughs> Uh, desperately trying to shovel the broken pieces of democracy back into the bottle is my wingman, Eero. That's me. Uh, you know, how am I supposed to hit the bottle if there's nothing inside the bottle? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, uh, it might... <clears throat> dem- democracy might be a seemingly permanently broken institution here in this show, but we're gonna have to try and shove it back, shove it back in somehow, yeah. so... <laughs> But, you know, what the real question is, are are you going to buy Pokemon Free Plants Alliance version or Pokemon uh, the Galactic Empire version? Oh, that's tough. I mean, my feeling is that, like, I think inevitably, um, I think Omega Reinhardt is probably going to have a better design. But I think in the competitive meta, uh, Alpha Young will probably... Uh, have a more competitive dual typing and probably a better uh, unique ability. So, you know, I think uh, I think for me as the tryhard uh, Pokemon gamer here, I'm probably gonna have to go with uh, with uh, Free Planets Alliance on this one. Yeah, I think I, I think I'm with you on that. Now that said, I have heard that the exclusive Pokemon in uh, Empire version are uh, let's see here. According to my notes, it's uh, Bittenfield. Uh, versus uh, free pr- pr- FPA's uh, Dusty Attenborough. So, you know, that's that's certainly um, a tough choice to make there. Yeah. Uh, additionally here, it seems that uh, uh, Empire Exclusive has um, has, uh, has uh, Mittermeier, which, you know, very tempting, very tempting. Also has Royanthal, though. Not so sure how I feel about that. Uh, yeah. Also you know. has and but it doesn't evolve until you trade him to FPA version. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, Murkatz, uh, I love Murkatz's design, but I'm, I'm hearing about his stats, and I'm not sure he's going to be able to hang in OU tier. You know, I think he might be a solid UU um, utility mm-hmm. Pokemon. Yeah. Um, seems like, uh, you know, combination of helping hand in both light screen and reflect, uh, pretty solid, pretty solid skill set, but... Don't know if he has enough HP to replace Chansey uh, in that team setup, mm. so I think uh, remains to be seen. Indeed. I think what everybody's uh, really looking forward to is, uh, it looks like Shen Cop is going to be this game's... Uh, sweeper? Yeah, yeah, you know, kind of metagame sweeper. But but more importantly, I think, is actually, I think everyone's going to... Everyone's sleeping on Julian because, oh, look here, he's the endgame dragon, you know, fucking starts off really weak. Yeah, he doesn't evolve till level, you know, episode fifty-six. But, <laughs> but I think uh, keep an eye on um, Lieutenant Junior Grade Julian Minchie. I think uh, I think a lot of potential there. Anyways, I think we have squeezed um, every <laughs> every bit of Pokemon blood out of this uh, Legend of the Galactic Hero Stone. So we should probably just move on to talking about the show itself. Um, yeah, um, this this installment we're covering episode forty eight, the two headed snake of the Battle of Rantamario. 
episode 49, The Darkness Deepens, and episode 50, Successive Battles. Yeah, it's uh, it's getting hot in this neck of the galaxy. Yeah. Things are popping We're off. We're ramping up. We're almost at the end of the season. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's... Uh, it's so, it's it's amazing. It's a long road. It's been a long road here, but hard to believe we had to almost start thinking about our uh, end of season podcast again. Yeah. But um look. Yeah. Let's worry about that later because for, we have an interesting trio of episodes we have to get to. As um, always. But yeah, episode 48 is just like we just kick off with the Bukok fleet is hanging at Rantamario, and the Imperial fleet is approaching, and even though Bukok knows exactly that the that the Imperial fleet is set up to lure them into a specific situation, they don't really have a choice other than no. to attack them, blatantly attack the, the, the trap that is the midsection Yes, yes. You know, we, we've talked about this, I think, plenty of times, so no need to go into the lecture this time, but a, lo- a big aspect of strategy and tactics in wartime isn't just about, like, oh, what kind of crazy, you know, what kind of crazy tactic do you pull off on your opponent in the battle itself, but it's like, what aspects of your strategy allow it so that your enemy is forced to engage you on their worst possible terms? And that is exactly what has happened to Bukok and the FPA. We do have Bukok sort of like thinking of a new plan along with Chung and uh, Soon Sol something. Uh, but, uh, unfortunately. But, yeah, but some of the um, other fleet commanders or whatever just start going off yeah. because we had to throw together this fucking hodgepodge, hodgepodge fleet uh, on short right. notice. Uh, discipline, not a strong suit in this fleet that has been literally thrown together at the last minute. Yeah. So we have but, a wing uh, of the fleet already already starts rushing the Empire lines and starts just firing wildly. Yeah, and you know, they, and, uh, they, do, they don't do too bad. No, in fact, turns out some of the Empire commanders kind of kind of fall for it in a weird ways, you know? Even is like, oh, we'll, we'll punish these fools who charged in, but, uh, you know, desperation, desperate times can lead to unexpected valor. Yeah, yeah, or, or, you know, sometimes not even valor, but just that the sheer kind of, you know, the kind of strategies you pull off in desperation can right. be so so unexpected and so brash and so risky that no conventional commander would ever even assume the enemy would try something like that, you know? it's Yeah. It, it's that old cliche of, like, the cornered rat will fight back, you know? Like, yeah. You know, uh... And sometimes they will do things far beyond what you expect them to be capable of because of because of how desperately you have cornered them. Yeah, and uh, they even push back Mittermeier a bit. Yeah, for a bit. For a bit. <laughs> uh, because basically what happens is the Empire gets caught off guard by this ridiculous attack, but, you know, they eventually, they eventually you know, kind of recompose themselves and... Uh, start blasting the shit out of the FPA fleet again, and we kind of are treated to this montage of just... I don't think we've really seen this happen much in this show, but just, like, the interiors of ships exploding, taking the crew with them, <laughs> people getting I, I set on fire. I think and... requirement of any space anime, you know? Uh... Oh, totally, oh, totally. I'm glad we're seeing it. 
I'm not even that much, I'm not even that bloodthirsty, but I'm glad we were finally seeing, like, yo, this ship's blowing up. That's not just a ship. That's, like, a ship full of, like, full of people. Yes, hundreds or thousands of people. And, uh, yeah, so that happens. Uh, but, you know, as this battle is going on, it's raging on, we get a, you know, we, uh, we get, a, we get a, yes, we get a scene of Bitfield kind of waiting in the back and, you know. Uh, but, but it's not his style to wait in the back. No, no, Benfield, like, you know, he's been assigned in this battle to kind of, like, he's kind of been given, I mean, he's, like, as much as we like to dunk on Benfield, he has actually been given a fairly important role in this battle. He is, he he is the hammer, you know, to the rest of the Empire Fleet's anvil. He has been tasked with, like, kind of going in for the killing blow when the time is right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to, but to pull that off, he needs to be at full strength. He needs to be saved for the right possible moment, you know. Send him out too early when the FPA fleet is too strong, they'll rip him apart. Send him in too late and, like, won't make a difference. So, like... Yeah. You know, but Bittenfield, as we said, yes, Bittenfield's like, well, let me just crawl a bit up closer to the front lines, you know, because... Uh, just sidle on up here and uh, get ready to shoot people. Yes, yes. But anyways, we get this great montage of like we get a montage of 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 the Legend of the Galactic Heroes stereotype of just like this montage of panning stills of men on ship bridges shouting and like yeah. focus fire you know, on the wedge. Right, lasers being traded. <laughs> yes, yes, just return fire. Yes, all that kind of good just good space opera battle shit, you know, good old that, that classical music's playing in the background. It's Yeah. It's good, but uh, and uh, Admiral Fahrenheit tries to go for a like pretty wide flank, but uh, the ships get caught in a space current. Yes, yes, a gr- the a gravity current caused by like the debris of the debris. The yes, yes, in relation to Mario's like, gravity well, right? It's just causing a current basically in in space that is acting as kind of a weird uh protector for the FPA's flank and. You know, we kind of get a good bit here where Fahrenheit's like, well, let's try to push in anyways. And he takes a couple losses. Like, oh, I can't do it. I got to pull back. Yeah, and I, I, think mean, this, like, I, think, I think this is a good bookend for what happens at the end of this battle. Yeah. That, like, Fahrenheit tries to push in and, like, does not have the gumption to, like, to, like, to push through, you know, push through the casualties that they will take. Right. Because, to, like, I mean, put himself also, in an advantageous uh, He also position. decided that, like, considering the tactical advantage the Empire holds already... There's no, there's no need to like risk his troops for yeah, a decisive just for blow. glory or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, yes, it. There are definitely arguments to both sides of this decision, you know. And I mm-hmm. think that generally, I am to side with Fahrenheit on this. That no point, like, if you're going to win this battle anyways, no point sacrificing the lives of thousands just for personal glory. Do it a little bit faster. But uh, yeah, you know, then we get we kind of cut to Bucock here, kind of you know, just talking about like, well. Uh, how many hours has it been, and how many hours till Yang gets here, you know? Yeah. Like, because for them, the FBA isn't here to win, they're just here to not lose. Yep. Like, we see here, I mean, I think we see a lot in this a- episode, actually, that Bucock is a pretty damn good admiral. He's not Yang's here, you know, and, but he is good, and he is working, you know, admittedly under very difficult circumstances, but... Yeah. I think Bukok actually really acquits himself well during this battle. You know, just kind of... It's a really good back and forth of... Yeah. Just, like, figuring out ways to survive, I guess. 
Yeah, yeah. And like, like I mean, because again, remember, he is like outnumbered four to one against Reinhardt's best admirals. And like, he's hanging in there. He's not winning the fight, but you know, he is, he is surviving. And considering those odds, that's already, yeah. you know, quite impressive. But There's uh, a bit here where Reinhardt uh, says, basically, we'll take, a, we'll take a short break uh, because we're kind of at a stalemate at the moment. And tells Hilda to go rest because it's her first battle, and like this kind of dramatic zoo, like zoom on Oberstein. Yeah, so, yeah. Oberstein's uh, very. I can't believe Reinhardt cares about people. Right, Oberstein very mad about giving employees <laughs> breaks. Oberstein is the person at the workplace who would be like, you know. He would be the one who'd be like, I don't see first. why we need I don't see why we need mandated 30 minute breaks for eight hour shifts. I think that's unnecessary. They I really think cared that... about their jobs. They would just work the whole time. Exactly. Exactly. But, uh, you know, um, it's in a bottle, you know, but yeah, so the battle, the battle kind of keeps going. We have this great bit where Benfield, I mean, not Benfield, um, Bucock basically like draws in like some of the Empire fleet that like gets a little overzealous. They get you know they get they get caught with their whole ass out there, and uh, Bucock actually manages to capitalize and punish them pretty bad for that. Right, he, and, uh, his uh, plan becomes he hits uh like the Empire forces them move in. He hits their engines so that they're yeah, immobile. And he immobilizes them. He doesn't he take just, them like, out. Use them as cover. And and that works amazingly because like no matter like how callous you know Reinhardt or the other Empire admirals might be, they're not shoot through your own guys tier. You know yeah. they're not Brunschwein <laughs> tier or whatever. You know like yeah. So like yeah, it's like it kind of works as like you know it, it's it's a twisted tactic, but it works. It buys time. It makes cover. Like you know, and 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 at the end of the day, right? Like that's that is what Bukok needs to do here. Bukok does not need to focus on big wins. He cannot get a big win. He is not Young Wenli. You know, he and, and he knows that. So like hold he's on, doing these hold it out. Yeah, so he's doing these strategies that are like perfect for just slowing down the Empire. Just making this battle as, you know, as unfun as it can be. Not that I'm saying war is fun, but like he is uh he's making this as inconvenient as possible. You know, it's like when you get to the end of an Advance Wars match and because you know you can't win, you just flood every single square with an infantry and uh <laughs> right it's like you know they're gonna win anyways but you're just gonna make this as painful as possible yeah but uh and recognizing this they basically order an all-out attack right and not only do they order an all-out attack they order bittenfield yeah, to lead their all-out attack right here says hang the enemy commander's beret on the black lancer's spear right fucking we got a bit here where bittenfield whistles before uh <laughs> You know, oh, uh, oh Bittenfield, uh, rhymes with Garfield. Yep. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but yeah, so we kind of, with this episode, we finally see, like, again, I want people to know, we dunk on Bittenfield out of a place of love. You know, <laughs> I I think, look, uh, Bittenfield yeah. is the dude, let's not forget, Bittenfield is the dude who said, like, of course, a dog would enjoy the company of another dog yeah. or something in, yeah. in in reference to Oberstein. So as far as I'm concerned, Benfield right. is kind of a dumbass, but he's also all right. But uh, yeah, so Benfield is, is charged with leading an all-out attack. And everyone charges right in, right in that space current. Yeah, but uh, yeah. specifically, yes, it is Bittenfield and the Black Lancers who charge into that very same space current that and Fahrenheit like, backed off from. There's a 
I like this because you have hope for a few seconds that because Fahrenheit decided he needed to retreat lest his fleet get destroyed by the space current, you you think for a hot second maybe Bittenfield's fleet will just ride right in the space current and get fucked up and we can all breathe a slightly a little bit easier and Bukok will have done it again. But uh, no, 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 like we are he, like Bukok does everything right. He calculates the like where the Black Lanterns will emerge so we can focus fire on them, and it's just not enough. It like, is just not enough. It's like you know, to continue this advanced wars, like you know, uh, analogy, it's like you know where the Neo tank is going to pop out of Fog of War, like you know it's coming, but you only have like four recons and one light tank, like. It doesn't matter. Like, it just doesn't matter, like, how prepared you are for them coming. If they just have such overwhelming firepower. You know, your, your super effective Ember attack won't work that well if it's uh, <laughs> too, too powerful. Yeah, yes, yes, you know, exactly, you know. Uh, and that's kind of where we see, like, here's where Bittenfield shines. Like, because here's the thing, we, sh- we see that some ships in Bittenfield's fleet take some hits in the energy, cr- in, like, in the space current. The difference is that Bittenfield doesn't fucking care. Like, He's pushed through. Right. Like, Bitt- like this is where you realize where Bittenfield shines, is, like, Bittenfield is not particularly subtle. He's not particularly clever. Uh, okay, he's very good. He's very clever with his words, but <laughs> intellect-wise and tactics-wise, he's not particularly clever. But what he is, is he's hard as fucking nails. Like... He'll go. Like, push he, right in. Yeah, like he'll take the, the like, quote-unquote meager, like, 5-10% casualties from charging straight into, like, the enemy's firing line. And he'll take that because he knows his fleet is harder, that they can hit harder, and they can take more. And that's exactly what they do to Bukok's fleet. Yep, and uh, basically wipe out almost everything. Yeah, they basically decimate... Uh, the FPA fleet, like, right here and there. Yeah. And, like... Bukok has to... goes back to his office, or back to yeah, his room. Yeah, yeah, Bukok's like, uh, everybody excuse me, I need to go to my room real quick, and we're all like, oh, no. Not this again. <laughs> and, this uh, again. Yeah, yeah, just for, like, the fifth time in this show, we see a... we see a leading admiral decide to go into their room to, you know, just pick up a couple personal items... Uh-huh. And uh, we see that it is uh, Bukok grabbing. Um, there's actually a great shot here. Like once again, like Legend of the Galactic Heroes, like maybe like, unintentional sense of humor is that in his he he goes to his room and he opens up a drawer and in that drawer is both a gun and a notepad. And we're mm-hmm. like, oh god, he's going to grab the gun. He grabs the notepad first, and we're like, oh thank god. Then he grabs the gun after Sorry. the notepad. Oh, god, damn it! I was like, god oh, damn it! Don't do this. Bucock. Yeah, but you know, uh, and as Fucking, if on uh, cue, as seems to happen when a lot in this situation, Elizabeth yes. Kuro, number two shows up, tell him not to do it, and I think like Chung's holding something in his hand. And I think it's just like the wires to the door mechanism. Yeah, I couldn't tell what they were. I I don't think he was pulling off a a Schumacher where he had Schneider. the uh, or Schneider. I, I, I'm sorry, I always get those two mixed up. I don't think he was pulling a Schneider of, like, don't bother, I already took out the bullets. I think this was more like, yeah, he, like, fucking broke into the room somehow, I yeah. guess, but... Yeah, point the, is, uh, Chung continues the great tradition of, uh, 
very reliable number twos swinging in at the last minute to convince our, you know, our leaders that, hey, not yet. And I actually really like Chung's reasoning. Like he, because I think it's a great contrast, like with different number twos, you know, like when we think of the number two in this show, we think of, you probably think of either Kirky Eyes or Julian. And Mm -hmm. you kind of think about like how, why are they such good wingmen to their respective leaders? And it's because they're unerringly, like supportive, loyal, but also honest. Like that's what made them great. And then you see other number twos, you know, maybe less great number twos or like number twos that are caught in bad situations. You have like guys like Ansbach for uh, Brunschweig, who is, seems like a, I mean, (laughs) that dude was, look, he he made good on his promise. He made made good on his promise to his Lord. Like say what you will about what that entailed. And, you know, but he was like, Hey, I'm going to kill you, but I will promise to, like, make good on your final request. Yeah, I'm still going to pour this poison wine down your throat. Yes, yes. But and I, then you I have like guys like Bill, what you ask me. Right. And then you have guys like Schneider who try to appeal to, like, Murkatz's better nature of, like, it's too late. Like, it, 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 you can't, it's too early to do, to, to kill yourself now. Like, we should, you know, like, there's no dishonor in running away. Like, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it will not besmirch who you are as an admiral. And then, you got number twos like Oberstein, you know, who are like, <laughs> you know, they're like, yes, give in to your anger, you know. But I like Chung because Chung is kind of like a weirdly benevolent version of Oberstein in terms of his reasoning. Let me lay out the curly logical reasons why you shouldn't do this. Right, like his reasoning for why Bukok shouldn't kill himself is incredibly logical. It is, is, it is, it is incredibly cold-minded, but also like... It is cold-minded right. in an altruistic in right. an altruistic way. Like Chung isn't telling Bukok not to kill himself out of a selfish desire. He's saying, like, I mean, we might as well just get into it. He says, "Look, when we lose this battle and the FPA is destroyed, the Empire is going to hold uh, a tribunal. They're, they're going to try its leaders as war criminals. We will be executed. But if you, the commander, kills yourself and and." And take away that "quote unquote" satisfaction from the empire. Right, they'll come after the people under you. Yeah, they'll just take out. They'll execute your subordinates next, and the people under them, and the people under them will suffer. Like, like Chung is basically saying, like, you need to be here and take responsibility. Right, like, and 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 I think Chung completely like admits, like, look, it's not your fault. Like, you didn't lead the FPA into this horrible situation, but. The world we live in is deeply unfair. Somebody has to take that bullet. And it's going to be you. It's going to be me. And that's fine because if it saves the lives of our soldiers, then that is what a leader does. And stem ties as much as we can. Right. And I feel like here, I was kind of like, all right, all right. I think I've fully turned around on Chung. I think this dude is like, he's cool. He's cool. He's. He's a little weird, but he's he's good. But uh, uh, yeah. just as Bukov returns to, uh, you know, accept the seemingly inevitable obliteration of the FPA fleet. Yeah, motherfucking the, the source of dis- yes, the source of disease himself has arrived. The work uh, of the trickster Young Wen Lee. Yes, yes, he shows up from the rear, uh, starts blasting the shit out of the Empire fleets. You know. Starts blasting the fleet so hard that Reinhardt comments to himself, Kirky Eyes, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. 
And somehow the Always FPA lives to see another day. Yeah. Just by the fucking thinnest of margins. Yes. <laughs> Just, uh, but yeah, they man. save uh, they save Bukok. Yeah. Yeah, and, just, uh, just barely. And Julian also arrives in his Imperial ship. Yes, you know? he does that too, yes. And, you know, I can't really call it a happy ending, but it's it's about as good of an ending as the FPA could hope for at this point, you know? like They made just, it. They somehow, somehow survived yeah. the fucking <laughs> being destroyed by Ran Tamario. Yeah, a really good episode. Another one of those episodes where you almost forget to breathe. Like, just... Oh, yeah. And, you know, I don't want to get into it too much because I feel like I talk about this every time we have a really good battle episode. But, like, I think this episode is a great, um, is a great, like, fictional portrayal of battle, you know, especially without Yang here. Like, without Yang here, you're not really dealing in, like, the sense of, like, oh, what's the crazy, like, what's the crazy trick that wins the battle? Instead, it's like, you recognize from the very beginning that Bukok cannot win this battle. You know, there's no magical strategy he can come up with. The best he can do is work with the limited resources he has to the best of his ability. Like, it's kind of what we talk about, where it's like, Bukok didn't go to this battle, you know, getting fooled. He didn't get tricked by the Empire formation. He knew it was coming, and he still had to fight that battle because the Empire had already done everything else right up to that point to make that battle inevitable, to make that battle the only option left to the FPA. and. In those sorts of situations, it's less about, like, how can you one-up your opponent or pull the wool over their eyes and more, what can you do in the battle itself to, like, what are the factors you can introduce, you know, that yeah. will throw them off guard, that will delay them, will stall them, will will hurt them, you know, and... Yeah. I mean, it's like, from a narrative standpoint as well, uh, writers are often told to the way to make a conflict interesting is to make sure... Characters are doing the smartest possible thing they could be doing at the time. And that doesn't mean it has to work out every time, but it proves their competence. Right. Like, I think that's a great way to put it, because I think nobody actively chooses to do something stupid. Uh, Smart people or stupid people. Nobody, like, very rarely do people actively say, I'm going to do the stupid thing here. People are people. They will generally always take the option that they at the time, in the context, believe is the best possible choice they can make, regardless of they're intelligent or not. And that's, I think that's kind of what makes this battle work so well. You know, like, you know, it's not just Bukok, it's even guys like Fahrenheit or Binfield, you know, the choices they make during this battle. You know, like, yeah. Fahrenheit deciding, no, like, glory isn't worth getting my men killed. You know, yes, maybe I could push through this current, but like, you know, it's not going to, you know, like, like, st- strategically, you know, in the big, ter- big picture terms, like that's not going to cha- make that much of a difference, you know, or, or when Bittenfield does decide to push through the current because he's decided now is the time to decapitate the fleet and that it is worth taking the losses to, to, uh, to, to make that attack. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah without taken care of, we kind of move on to episode 49. Yeah, um, we, uh, we have remains of the FPA, uh, fleet. Um, yes. Group of Heineson. Yep. And the, instantly upon landing, Yang Wenli is promoted to Fleet Admiral. 
the youngest admiral in history. Yes, but yes, also and... the previous record for youngest fleet admiral was a posthumous uh, promotion. Yes, yes. So, so you know, young is something of a historical precedent here. You know, not yeah. that young himself particularly cares much about the position, but you know, you know. Uh, what it does is essentially for the first time in Yang's life gives him a little bit of bargaining power that he did not have before. Yeah. Like he like it speaks volumes that the FPA is so desperate that they're finally I, I some would argue too late, but they are finally right, like- starting to pay attention to what Yang says. Because now it is either we pay attention to Yang or we find ourselves destroyed. Yeah, and, the, and Young like, defense is just like, please save this nation. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, so we have a save us. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Young points lays it out. What we've kind of already gone over is that look, we can't win this war. Like straight up, we we are not. Like we don't have the resources, we don't have the manpower. The only option we have left is fucking. Putting Reinhard von Lohengram into the dirt. Yep, it's the only way. I actually like that. Like this scene is pretty good, even apart from the actual plot content. Just for small stuff like Yang, it's nervous and just like runs through his water real fast. And uh, so, yes, yes, there's a like pushes her glass of water over to him. Yes, a lot of really great like. As much as we just love, love, love episodes like 48, we also love, love, love episodes like 49. They just have all these like great little character interactions that, you know, just look, sound like a fucking broken record here, but boy, Legend of the Galactic Heroes is a really good show. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we kind of find out that um, Lutz is the one currently in command of Ezerlone. Uh Royanthal has relinquished it to meet back up with the rest of the the Empire fleet. Right. Kind of quashing that theory we had last time about, oh, is going to pull something with Ezerload. Yeah, but it turns out that's not happening. But, um... Yeah. We, uh... Consolidate Imperial forces even further. Yes. Now they've yes. 180,000 ships. 180,000. Uh, last we checked, the, uh, before Rotomario, they had... Like- yeah, Battlefront like, Mario is like a hundred thousand versus seventy thousand or something. I think or, it was like no, no, no. I think I think there was much. Wait, did you say seventy thousand or seventeen? Seventeen. Was it that low? I thought they were like at thirty, but maybe you're right. Well, they certainly don't got thirty thousand ships anymore. Let me tell you, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's bad. It's real specific numbers. Or specific it's, battles, okay? Point is, it is at least a four to one or five to one numerical, like. Yeah difference and when, uh, yeah, Thal, uh shows up but there's a little bit where yeah they're talking about how Roenthal has arrived rendezvoused with imperial forces so of yes. course uh, as he gets off his ship Mittermeier's there waiting for him they shake hands well you know hey <laughs> I know. you know they're, they're friends you know he Mittermeier's I'm, very I'm happy my place for breakfast yes yes and I'm sure Mittermeier is probably is probably like, okay, I came up with a new metaphor, so I'm going to say that their front door is open, and that they're letting me sit at the dining table, but but yet this, like, what if the food is poisoned? And right though, it's probably just like, yeah, good that's, job. That's a really good one, Mittermeier. Wow, that that's really deep. 
pull corks, uncorks another bottle. Yes, yes. <laughs> uncorks another bottle of wine at breakfast. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, and so Young's plan is basically guerrilla warfare. Yeah, uh, we're gonna... if, we, if we need to take out Reinhard von Lohengram, the only way to lure him out is to whittle down his sources one by one until he gets so fucking mad that he rushes out to the battlefield himself. Yes, and lucky for us, it's very easy to make uh, Reinhard mad. So, you know, this is a pretty solid strategy. You know, like, I mean, yeah. the strategy is basically just like, you know, it's a, it's a grander scale version of how Reinhard won the very first battle of the TV show. Like, when you have a numerically inferior force, you know, you yeah. what you try to do is you isolate elements of the superior force and destroy them with your temporary numerical superiority. Mm-hmm. Until eventually, you you are no longer the one with fewer numbers. Yeah. But yeah, we have some great moments here, like uh, you know, Julian and Yang have you know met up once again. It's before, it's very good. It's that, very sweet. I really like this bit where uh, Yang walks out of an elevator. Oh, oh my god, I totally missed this. Right, the press, and yes. uh, they want him to promise to save the country, but <laughs> like. <laughs> Shenkov <gasps> pulls his gun on the reporters. Oh my god, it's so good. Fucking Shenkov's so first goddamn instinct is to pull a fucking piece out on the press, which god damn, thank god for Shenkov. At least uh, somebody in Yang's cabinet is smart enough to carry a right. gun on him. Uh, just <laughs> just but, uh, gun on him. It's so great. Uh. But yeah, yes. Julian Julian's back and uh Yeah, and not only is he back, but he's getting a promotion. Yeah, playing yeah. junior grade. Yeah, uh your Julian is evolving into Lieutenant Junior Grade Julian. Yeah, and she... the, the media loves him because he's hot yeah. and young and the protege of one miracle young. Yes, you yes. Know, I, I, the, the, I do love the bit the in the interview where they're like science. Yes. Uh, I do love the bit in the interview where they're like, what kind of great strategy did you pull off to capture that Imperial Destroyer? And Julian being Julian's like, oh, it's actually a part of a very um, secret plan I've been working on. And, you know, I'd hate to disclose it lest the Empire learn our secrets. When we all know it's just motherfucker, motherfucker basically just pulled another Ezer loan. Right. And, uh, hey, you know, Julian knows how to talk to people better than Yang. <laughs> he does. If, if there's anything that I think will save Julian in this show... It is that his charisma naturally draws people to him in a way that Yang very much does not. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, uh, Yang and Julian kind of meet up. They decide to go out for dinner, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, Yang talks a little bit about Boris and, you know, Boris Konev and their childhood of uh, troublemaking. I like that they go out because Yang. <laughs> Is t- he's basically tired of eating like crappy hotel room service. Yes, yes. It, it's more than that. He also comes like, man, I'm the motherfucking fleet admiral, and this is what I get fed. Like, you know things are bad in the FPA if this is how it is. <laughs> but also, it's like, eh, I'm probably okay with eating this rather than fancy stuff. Sure, sure. But anyways, I think... It's like the running theme of Yang going out to eat. Uh, yes you know, like <laughs> can't fucking cook for himself right of course he can't <laughs> no with that no no not 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 in his life never but yeah. uh the more important thing that comes out of him taking julian out to dinner is that uh julian asks yang about like well uh, how did the retreat from user go and yang says that 
I'm going to tell you something. And you are going to be the only the third person to know it, other than uh, Frederica and was it Shenkop or Kazalnu? I Shenkop. Shenkop. Like you are going to be the only three people who know this, but I left something behind for the Empire, and uh, you know, but he's not allowed to tell us the plan. Not, no, and I think because it would be a spoiler, right? And that excites me because, like, here's the thing: I originally, well, it also it 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 makes me curious now because. Why would Yang tell other people about this plan? Is that implying that Yang himself does not plan to be the one who takes back Ezerlum? I don't know. I think I think he considers Julian a confidant. Right, but I guess what I mean is like we don't know if Julian's going to stick with Yang permanently again. I feel like yeah. my worry is that him is them splitting up Yang and Julian like for the like the you know the Fazan stuff is just like a prelude to like Julian kind of eventually you know forging his own destiny forging his own legacy I think that is likely and um, so i kind of wonder what happens if some situation happens where it's like julian and his fleet his future fleet are the one who have to take back Iserloan, and he'll just think back okay, to all those yeah, years right. ago I, I say now. like what happens if it was like what happens if after season two we get another like five ten year like time skip oh, right man I it might happen. Like, oh, i know right <laughs> where, where did that long hair reinhardt come from and and like, what happens is like Julian five ten years later. Now the leader, like you know, he's co- now he's Commodore Julian Minchie, <laughs> you know, commanding his own fleet. And like, what happens if some crazy situation happens where it's like Julian is like isolated in space and he has to take Ezerloan? And like he'll just think back to like what Yang said all those years ago and be like, yeah. hmm, I, I wonder if that it. trick is still there, you know? It. Yeah, uh, uh, that's 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 for the basic speculation section. Yes, yes, that is my our completely baseless speculation that we could find out it was completely invalidated by the end of this season. Like this season could literally end with like Lutz be like, "Huh, what's this under the cabinet?" Yeah. You know, and finding a nuclear bomb. Who knows? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got. We also get in this conversation. Yang finally acknowledges that Boris Konev exists. Uh, yes, yes. So they got they got up to a lot of mischief when they were kids, and uh, also. Let's see here. That uh, that Julian um got to know Bishop Degsby, mm-hmm. who passed away mm-hmm. yes. during the the, the uh, travels. Yes, we find out that Degsby is dead, which is an interesting thing. I think I was expecting the Degsby stuff to maybe play into the Earth Cult stuff on now that he's here on Heineson. Like right. I was wondering if that would be our like door, our back door into that plot line, but no, it's just like nah, he died of too but many it, drugs. But it does give Yang the clue that the Earth Cult is working very closely with the Job True Next. Yes, yes, and that as much as he would love to spend all of his time fucking stomping Job True Next and the Earth Cult into the dirt. He is too busy fighting for the very survival of the FPA, yep. but uh, he's got a man in his corner who might be good at this kind of thing. He does also have go on a, but uh, not after. He does go on a, like a philosophical rant about how <laughs> civilizations may have started on Earth, but the rules change. Yes, yes. It's only natural that the center of civilization is no longer on Earth. Right, and that the desire to keep the center on Earth is not only selfish but detrimental to the yeah. good of humanity. And I think you could say you could use that very like 
like t- that very con- conversation. Like he's not even just talking about Earth literally. He's talking about what we always consider to be the status quo. Yep. Like what is the status quo now will not always be what is good for the future, you know? And that yeah. it, it is the imperative of mankind to to know when it is time to to change that status quo for the betterment of of all of us. Yeah. And so Yang also says that uh, uh, Bagdashu to research Earth cult's activities. Yes, yes. We, we, like I said, he has a man in his corner who is good at this sort of thing. He's good at and, being a weird, slimy infiltrator. Hell yeah, which I still think is completely hilarious to me to this day. Because if you were, like, we're talking about, oh, Bogdashu, right, you know, uh, Yangwen Lee's, like, secret intelligence expert. But let's not forget, Bogdashu got caught within the first five fucking minutes yes. of showing up in, on Yang's ship. Like, motherfucker fooled nobody. Like, you could say that's because Yangwen Lee's smart. But fucking nobody else even bought it. Right. This dastardly whiplash looking motherfucker. The 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 fucking second Bogdashu steps foot onto, you know, the Hyperion. Like like, this this guy this guy's up to some shit. Like fucking But you know what? I, I I do hope this works out well because I totally, totally want there to be just fucking fucking Bogdashu like James Bond adventures as a subplot <laughs> of Legend of the Galactic Heroes like I want to see Bogdashu like infiltrating the Earth cult I want to see Bogdashu like pretending to be like a triple agent for the Earth cult like uh. wearing Earth cult robes like you know like just trying to like blend in and you know collect you know you know gather dirt on yeah, them I am I'd, I'd be seeing that fucking I want to see Bogdashu like Fucking wooing women and getting into car chases, mm-hmm. and and getting you know drinking at bars and being suave, you know. Yeah, uh, giving people thumbs up. <laughs> God, but, that's uh, um, but yeah, so then we finally have this, this conversation. Conversation kind of ends, you know, with Yang Wenli once again proving that he is literally too good for us. You yeah, know, where he's telling uh, Julian and the very important advice to uh, yeah. Don't fight without thinking about the enemy civilians, you know? Yes. Like, like, no matter how bad this war gets, no matter how far it pushes us. If we destroy Lohengram and save the Alliance, that will cause suffering on the em- Empire's populace. Right, right. Like, for our and, only way for us to survive is to throw them into chaos. Like, yeah, right. Really I, I, think that, I, think, I mean, I think the important thing Yang Wenli states here is... He is not condemning the actions he needs to take to ensure the survival of the FPA. Like, he's not saying, like, he's not saying, oh, think of the enemy civilians in a pacifistic sense. He is saying, like, consider the, go- the consequences of your actions. Yes, like, if you're going to consider and carry out these, let's be frank, like, potentially monstrous actions, like, do so knowing, like, why you must do it. Like, and I think I think that very much speaks to Yang's character. Like Yang has done things that, like, you know, in in other fiction could be portrayed as somewhat monstrous. You know, uh, the the taking of Iserlone, and you know, the the destruction of the Geiersberg fleet. Like Yang has let's let's not get it twisted. Yang has the blood of hundreds of thousands on his hands. But like the important thing, Yang always like I think that that makes us, if not you know, we're not you know not I don't think forgive is the right word, but like puts Yang's actions into context is he doesn't do them lightly. Like he does them because frankly, most of the time he's been given no other choice. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, it just kind of continues to kind of lay down, you know, the fucking seemingly unbreakable moral framework that Julian lives with, you know, just because of the time he spent with Young Wenli. Young. But, uh, and then Young Wenli also has a great line where he's like, and you know, our great founder, Ale Heinesen, had a, had a, had a legendary phrase. Yeah. It's oh. always darkest before the dawn. And Ale Heinesen, that's his quote. There's a part of me like, wait a minute, he did not invent that. Well, but, but then, then he says like, no one really knows the no one really knows the truth of Ali Heinesen's escape because no one. Right. But uh, but people appreciate this quote more if it was said by our great founder than if it was just said by some random yes, guy. Exactly. Exactly. Which I think is just a. I mean, it's a fantastic little bit that also like plays into the space opera far future aspect of like. You know what? I could totally believe in like 5,000, 10,000 years, you know, maybe certain turns of phrases that we just take for granted now, like, might get attributed to somebody born 2,000 years from now. Yeah. You know, uh, just like. Information drift. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, after a while, it's just like, you know, it's like, that, that shit's just lost time, you know? But, uh,. Anyways, I th- the episode of uh, Brian Graham, he's caught a cold, he's got a he's fever. Caught the dreaded Empire cold <laughs> caused from overwork. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't stopped for the past decade, basically, yeah. what he says to himself. Yes, and, uh, you know, but, but but before we cut back to right at the very end, um, we, you know, we have Reinhardt kind of, you know, getting tucked into bed. And then uh, we find out that uh, Murkatz is back on the team, baby. Oh, yeah, he's just, like, ditching the uh, government exile. Yeah, yeah, Murkatz is just straight up telling the government exiles, like, look, let's be real. I can't fucking do shit for you guys. Like, you thrust this on me. Like, we didn't accomplish anything. Well, like, as part of the young fleet, I can at least do stuff. I can right, accomplish right. things. So, you know, we're kind of getting this great, you know, young is kind of slowly getting to put the band back together again in time to uh, take on Reinhardt. Yeah. And then finally the episode ends with kind of Reinhardt in bed and I call him, you know, fucking a mile away. Uh, his new Reinhardt uh, just uh, thinking in bed, like, you know, you guys are here. Last time I was sick, Kirk guys took care of me. <laughs> uh, but now, uh, right, right now we only have the next best thing, who, which is Emil von Sekla. This yes, uh, another precocious kid. redheaded boy. I'm gonna who, go to uh, medical school. Right. Which I and now I kind of wonder, like, you think this Emil von Sekla kid is actually gonna like kind of grow up to become like Reinhardt's new like Julian esque ward, or do you think Emil von Sekla is gonna fucking eat it? Oh, I could see it going either way. Because like he's definitely not important enough as someone like Julian for me to think he's gonna rise to that role. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I guess I'm curious to see what they do with that character because he's certainly not that important now. But, yeah, you know, you never know with the way these shows kind of go. I mean, like, I don't even remember that dude's name anymore, but I'd like to remind you that, like, the late, the, the, the most recent his adjutant. Current, his, yeah, his current redheaded adjutant. Is still there. Yeah. Like, I just don't he hasn't him. I don't remember his name. He's not important. But, like, 
like he he went through like a string of them, and yeah. like the latest one he has is uh, he's still stuck with that one. So apparently that dude is uh apparently doing his job at least passably. Yeah, <laughs> you know probably probably still not good enough for Reinhardt's taste, considering that that dude explicitly stands behind both Hilda and Oberstein. <laughs> so you know he knows how the pecking order is there, but yeah, you know hey you know what look it's a steady paycheck, all right. Like uh, yep. you're the guy whose job is to stand behind. Reinhard and, and yep do stuff do stuff apparently you know I don't yeah. know like fax paperwork or something but uh yeah, man what do, you think a, what do you think a fax machine looks like in the Empire like, we saw Kirkyaz's work laptop like oh, you, think, you think their fax machine also is like just fucking like silver and gold with all these like embossed like patterns on it yeah probably oh man I think of how of course, I would say this, but uh, in Fade Zero, yeah, and they go to, to the Tosaka basement, and they have the magic fax machine, which is like a skeleton hand holding a big quill with gems huh. all over it. Okay, like, writes you, you know, like sure, sure, message. sure. Okay, like, this is dumb. <laughs> but you know anyway. what? I feel like I feel like the Empire would do something similar. Exactly. Um, but, uh, yes. So 50. yeah. You know, like, uh, the uh, Empire's basically established a front base in the Gundarva system and uh, yeah. are sending lots of supplies because they have to feed 20 million troops. Yes, yes. There are 20 million troops, 180,000 ships, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and, and, you know, kind of like... Walmart uh, is holding the supply line. Yes. But, uh, uh, you know, we kind of want to mention that, like, you know, just like before, the supply lines are kind of stretched because, like, that's kind of just what happens in wars, you know, and that... uh. You know, predictably, uh, the uh, the alliance shows up and um, beats the fucking shit out of Sombart, and then ghosts before Turnizen can show up. You know, to reinforce them. Yep. Takes and uh, I do want to specifically say say that like before this happens, like Sombart was handling logistics. Like Reinhard explicitly tells Sombart, <laughs> Yang Wen Li, that source of disease, that fucking magician, that, that miracle worker, that horrible trickster. He will probably try to pull some shit on you. Don't be stupid. Don't fight him. Like, the help. moment things look even a little sketchy, call for help. Like, you almost, like, Reinhardt almost sounds like, like a very, like, harrowed mother here. Like, just call me on the phone, all right? Don't walk home, you know? Don't, don't, like, don't get a ride with your friend. Just call me and I'll pick you up, okay? Can you promise me this, Sombart? <laughs> And Sambar, it's like, yeah, you got it, Mom. And then Q literally, like, right. cuts to the destroyed Empire fleet. And Yang's, like, ship's fucking ghosting. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, yeah, and, so we need to take out uh, the Yang fleet is yes. the plan. Because they're just running roughshod over... Yeah, yeah, Reinhardt is getting kind of mad. Getting kind of, kind of, getting a little hot under the collar about uh, about all this. Yeah, and uh, Yang is, like, going through his plan on the Hyperion, and is then is like, wait a minute, why is Yulian here? Oh, why yes, is yes. here? Right, yes, we we are treated to a, like, a pseudo, like, famous series of screen caps that, in context, makes sense, but out of context, you realize, like, oh... Like this joke basically exists solely because the subs poor, here poor, poor were points in the subtitles, right? Right, because 
you, you get you get Yang Wen Li pointing at Louis Mashengo, who is black, and then saying, not who is that, but what is that? And then, you know, Frederica saying like, oh, or or is it Julian that says, oh, that's uh, Louis Mashengo. Yeah. And Yang Wen Li being like, what is he doing? Or like, what is that doing on my ship? Which, <sighs> take it out of context, is like, man, I, you know... I, I always thought Yang Wen Li was a pretty progressive dude, but I guess everybody has their prejudices, I mean, apparently. But phrasing uh, better be like, why would be like, why is he here? <laughs> right, right. Like, why? Like, just switching out why for who or just like, what in that sentence on? would have immediately made that read a lot better. But I did get a laugh out of that regardless. But but yes, uh, Yang just a little surprised that, uh, you know, Julian and Mashengo were along for the ride, which I feel like shouldn't be that surprising. I feel like... I feel like after what happened at Fazan, like, Julian would be like... I don't think he expected Julian to, you know, like, be on his crew again anytime soon, you know? I think so. I mean, I think because of, like, how impactful they made that separation all those episodes back. Yeah. You kind of thought, oh, like, this is very much like Julian leaving the roost. But, no, I mean, hey, it's just like college. Julian's back from... Julian's back for the winter, you know, the winter break. Yeah. And he he brought his uh, roommate, uh, Louis Mashengo, with him. So, uh, so yeah, so Young kind of talks, you know, yes, talks about how their plan is, you basically got to, every time the Empire sends out some splinter fleet to do this or that, we're just going to pound the shit out of them and and bail. Like, we're not going to go for maximum casualties, we're not going to try to destroy the fleet, but we're just going to, you know, we're going to rough them up bad enough, you know, to to shake them up and then leave before reinforcements show up. But, uh, yeah, and so the Young fleet gets cornered by uh, Steinmetz. Yes, quote unquote cornered by Steinmetz. But, uh, well, well, no, it's just Steinmetz alone at the start. Okay, Lancome shows up later. Yeah, so Steinmetz is tasked with hunting down the Yang fleet and has seemingly cornered Yang uh, with a black hole behind him. Yes. In case you forgot this was a space opera. Yeah. And, uh, basically, uh, basically, Yang pushes a, a pretty slick move here where he, uh, you know, basically forms a wedge formation and busts right through uh, Steinmetz's fleet and then circles back around them. Pushes them uh, into the black hole. Pushes them into the black hole. But uh, Lenkov shows up, or he shows up in three hours. And, uh, you know, we we have a great moment here that I, I'm so... is almost... I feel, like, I feel like this has to be a wink and a nod to the viewers themselves because... Like Yang gets a report that oh, uh, Lenin Kopt has shown up with his fleet. And like the, the 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 flagship the the flagship the Gargafamul has shown up. Oh, that's yes, that's what happens. And, and then Yang's just like uh, and kind of like looks to Frederica for help, and she's like uh, is like that's that's uh, Lenin Kopt's uh, fleet. Oh, <laughs> you know? got it. Which, right, that guy. Right, which I feel like is a great little bit of like look. Keeping track of all of these admirals is hard work, you know. <laughs> like it's 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 even now as we reach the end of season two, I'm not sure I could reliably name all of the new admirals that nope. Reinhardt has these days. I absolutely could not. But uh, but yeah, so y'all basically just you know kind of styling on these fools yeah. and uh, so uh, Steinmetz escapes by uh, yeah. I, I do like this bit because uh, it shows that Steinmetz has at least some character. Uh, right, he's not, he's, some he's not your right. Yeah, he's not your run of the mill shitty Empire admiral. He uh, he keeps his cool. 
Yeah, straight up just keeps us cool, because when faced with either we're pushed in a black hole and we all die, or we try to retreat and leaves ourselves completely open to be fired upon and a lot of us die, you know, he just makes the choice. We're yeah. we're getting out of here and a lot of us are going to die, but, hey, you know, better than yeah, that. Yeah, it's, 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 it's basically like it's like 20% survival chance versus 0% survival chance, like... And as and even though like you know us sitting here comfortable in our chairs like well you'd always take the twenty percent survival chance it's like it it takes a cool head to like in in the pressure of that situation like with every passing second your ships are being blown up by Yang's fleet to like be able to be like okay this is what we're gonna do it's risky as hell many of us will die but. Yeah, but, like, you know. we have to anyways. And he mm-hmm. does, and he manages to escape because with uh, Linda Compt approaching, Yang can't afford to stick around for like a long-term yeah. engagement. And this leads into Reinhardt's like, Reinhardt, who uh, punished Sombart quite heavily earlier this episode, is now has to deal with Linda Compt and Steinmetz. Yes, uh, yes. And, and Reinhardt's like initial instinct is definitely to go more punitive because like yeah. let's forget let's not forget this is Reinhard von Lohengrim who at, when he was a von Musel uh, kicked a kid in the nuts and bashed a dude in the head with a rock it's and true. like those were his, literally his first instincts like not talk things out fucking go for the jugular yeah, and, and he wants to just send Lenny Kamp to Ease alone yeah as a punishment bring loots back over here yeah and Hilda. Like fucking bless Hilda. Like she doesn't get no screen time, but Hilda, the like smartest person in the empire, might, might actually be the smartest person in the room. Because like, here's the thing. Like, I bet Oberstein would also would have advocated for like, yeah, punish those guys, fuck them, because Oberstein's a dick. Mm-hmm. Whereas like Hilda is, Hilda's not only a good person; she's a smart person, and like that's a that's a powerful combo. She basically lays it down to Reiner. She's like, I got three points for you, Reinhard, and like you're gonna listen to me because you know I'm right. <laughs> like. You can't punish Lennon Compte, or you cannot punish Lennon Compte or, or, while also not punishing Steinmetz, because that sets an unfair precedent. You also cannot uh, set a precedent with Solbart, because if you punish him too harshly, you're going to intimidate your soldiers, and they're going to start making irrational decisions to appease you. Like, you know, motherfucking, we can all just look to Hitler, or really any tyrannical dictator to see like that when your, when your subordinates are afraid of you, that's when they start like ginning up false results to appease you. Yeah. And like, that's how you lose a war. And finally, if you treat Iserlone as a punishment, if you treat being the commander of Iserlone, think about it. This is the, this is the position Yang Wenli held for two years, the Yang Wenli. And if you treat that very same position as like, you're, you're like fucking like dumping ground for commanders. Like you're, you're like shitty backwater. Yeah. Like people will take it lightly and they will, and, and that's just going to make it all the easier for the FPA to take it back one day. Yep. And like, again, it's like she, what she's arguing for is not only morally good, it is also extremely logical. And yep. that is something I can really appreciate. Yeah. I'm glad she has the position she does in this show. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just before, uh, I, I don't, I, I don't want to go back too far, but I do just want to say that, Oh man, I fucking miss Julian Yang hanging out because uh, we have this great conversation. Like, just oh Yang, you precious, precious man. Just or Julian first, where Yang is like, oh man, right. I'm going to hell for this. And Julian, Julian, bless Julian. He's like, oh, I'll, he's like, people. don't worry. 
you know, uh, he says, I'll go to hell with you to keep you company. And uh, Yang's like, no, 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 no. You can't go to hell with me. I need you in heaven because I need you to drag me up with you. Yeah. Which <laughs> is... Uh, work for me. Yeah, which is, uh, is very good, very precious. And in a world where we no longer get those sweet private moments between uh, Reinhardt and Kirky eyes, I live for these conversations. Yeah. And uh, but, uh, go to like the la- the admiral's lounge, basically. Yeah, Where yeah. All this part of the Empire admirals are basically chatting. Uh, yeah, it's like a it's like a brainstorm session. They basically all just meet up and start drinking and be like, "Okay, how the fuck do we take out Young Wendley?" <laughs> yeah, I really Which, like the scene because it's yeah. It's a chance for them all to talk, and it's a chance for them all to advocate for the plan they think will work, which gives us a good idea of each one's character, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, I Because I think up until this point, we actually have not seen that much interaction between these admirals. Like, I think the last time they were all in open dialogue with each other, at least on screen, was when Kirky Eyes died. Yeah. Like, I think that's actually the last time we've seen, like more than two of them together talking. Because usually it's like it's just Mittermeier and Roenthal, or it's like Fahrenheit and so I'm getting, I'm getting somebody a else. <laughs> or Mueller, Mueller. It's like Mueller and like somebody else. Yeah, you know, it's like, I'm getting a little mixed up about the order of scenes here, but... Wait, what are you talking about? This is when they're talking, right? Yeah, there there is a bit bef- right before this with, um, with Admiral Valen going after like... Imperial supply or going after FPA supplies. And- yeah, yeah. He 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 suggests uh, raiding FPA supply lines, which uh, Reinhardt ends up approving. And right. uh, oh oh, this whole scene. My bad. Yes, you are totally right. Wow, we went right past this. Yes, we went. Right- yeah. Hey man, you're the one who started talking about the brainstorming session. My fault. But uh, as long as we have that on the record, it's Eros' fault. <laughs> I, look. I go through my screen caps in order when we do these podcasts. And all right, all right. And you didn't I'll, take any screen caps of the of this I, battle, right? I saw, no, it's because before there is a bit of Reinthal Mittermeier speaking in the lounge oh, yes. before this battle, right? Uh, okay, where they're talking about how we can't get a good alcohol because the supply lines are slow. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yes. They're running out of wine, which is no good for Reinthal. But, um, but, yeah, so we have a great bit here where, uh, yes, yeah, so Wallen's like, all right, I'm going to take out those supply ships or take out their supply bases. And, and we're going to take their he, supplies for ourselves. Right. And so, uh, but, wait, wait, Wallen suggests that. Oh, yeah, it is Wallen, yes. Uh, so Wallen kind of runs into the FPA fleet who have decided to uh, seemingly place their supply ships in front of their main fleet, which leads, leads uh, Wallen to include, ha, those cowards, they're leaving these here to run away. Uh, happily. Right take these un- unattended unmarked supply ships and yeah. turns out we find out that uh young Wen Lee took a sh- took a book out of dusty's book and uh, is uh yeah. doing them dusty style which is um <laughs> Freaking filling them to blow up yes is filling them with explosives <laughs> uh. which again I think I gotta agree with Kalsadu is a deeply wasteful strategy but you know what if it works every time, then it works because it... they've made it so the empire is reliant upon plundering uh, resources. Yes, right? I mean yes, in, in a lot of ways, like they broke the supply lines earlier. 
Yeah, yeah. In fact, I'm glad you brought that up, Eero, because I think that lets me... You allow me to bookend this conversation with uh, what I talked about in uh, our conversation about 48, which is uh, battles aren't just won by who has better tactics, but often who has better maneuvered to force the enemy into uh, the situation that allows you to uh, defeat them in battle. And this is a situation where Wallen has to go for the supply ships, or he is encouraged to, because because uh, Yang keeps blowing up their supply ships, you know, keeps destroying their logistics. So, like... Like a Wallen or, or or an empire that is not in the kind of pseudo dire straits it is supply wise would have never fallen for this trick, but one that is getting a little desperate would. Yep, and uh, that's what allows. And then then we get to the whole like everyone's in the lounge scene. Right, right. Then everybody's in the lounge. It's like motherfucker, <laughs> this this plague upon our house. Yang Wen Li, sorts of disease. The you magician, just... the miracle worker. The trickster, Yang Wenli. The hero of Alpha Seal. Just my, get fucking, every time Yang Wenli is introduced to a room, you have to use every AKA. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, yeah, they're just like, God damn it. This dude is too fucking good. Like, how do we take him? Right. And, uh, and this, this is where everyone says that their plan that reveals their character. <laughs> yes, this is, yes. So now we loop back to that conversation again. And, and you're right. I really do like this conversation because... Because, yeah, it shows, like, what they advocate for, what their priorities are, and what they fear. And what they fear is motherfucking Yang Wenli. You know, it is. Yeah. And uh, kind of just, uh, it, it, it's a neat bit here. But uh, at the end of the day, for better or worse, their planning doesn't really amount to much because uh, Reinhardt puts his foot down. Right. And uh, kind of lays into his admirals, you know, pretty hard here. He's He's not happy. You know, he's... He's uh he's very angry that this damnable Yang Wen Li will not bend the knee that there exists somebody in this world that he cannot dominate yeah and that uh that and that he will uh he will play or he will he will create a plan that uh plays by Yang's rules he will allow himself to be isolated enough to convince Yang Wen Li to uh to take the fight to him. And uh, what he tells the rest of his admirals do to do is a. Uh, I want all of you to leave. You're all going to raid a different like supply base. Right. We're gonna like you're going I'm to isolated. right. You're gonna fly far enough away from me that I am alone. I am like genuinely, actually alone. Like I'm not keeping one of you hidden here behind a rock or something. Like I'll actually be by myself. And uh, Yang Wen Li will. But he will have more ships, of course. But he will, of course. It's not like it's not like it's not like Reinhardt. I mean, not, not Reinhardt. It's not like Reinhardt is specifically putting himself in a weak position. He's still going to have his full strength fleet. But he understands that Yang's goal is to take him out of the equation, and so he will leave himself relatively open to lure Yang into a battle. Yes. Or not only that, but just open enough that Yang Wenli, like Yang, Yang Wenli, will know this is a trap, but he will still have to take it because. This trap is still the best. Like it's still right. the best option. Is, he's it's got. kind of an interesting situation because I like we keep talking about how you want to maneuver the other side into the position, you know, and a position advantageous for you. And yeah. this is kind of that on both sides because yeah. Reinhardt wouldn't be doing this in the fr- Reinhardt wouldn't be setting a trap for Young Wen Lee in the first place if Young Wen Lee had not created a situation for Reinhardt to <laughs> to want to set a trap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so. In a weird ways, both Yang and Reinhardt have now created the conditions 
that they desire and believe is optimal for achieving their final goal. Yeah. And of course, you know, that's not the end of the plan. Of course, Reinhardt says, of course, once I get into a fight, you're all going to come back and we're basically going to overwhelm him with sheer numbers. Yeah. And it's a, it's, I, I really like this plan for both of them because it's very risky, but also like, Here's the thing, right? You might say, oh, like Reinhardt is in complete control here. All he has to do is, you know, because he says what his plan is. He's basically going to hide his ship behind, like, in the very back of the formation, you know, like that if Yang, like, because the, the thing Reinhardt needs to do here is once he fights Yang, it's just by time until the rest of his fleet arrives. Yeah. So kind of show this by, like, pouring wine on a stack of printer paper by the looks yeah. of it, which is <laughs> a very funny analogy to me. Incredibly overwrought. Uh show of theatrics. Yes, yes, but you know, that's that's how Reinhardt rolls, but uh but uh but yeah, yeah it's basically well see the wine can't seep through all this paper. I have enough reserves that no matter how powerful young Winley is, he cannot penetrate all of my defenses. Right. And you might argue that's an awfully like kind of basic bitch plan for Reinhard von Lohengram. But then you also realize realize that like, no, actually the reason he can, the, right? Like the reason he can even use this plane in the first place is exactly because he has done all the work up till now to ensure his material and numerical superiority. That he can he, he can afford to use planes like the, this that like Yang unfortunately will never ever get to dream of or consider because he does not have the same material resources. Yeah, and, like uh, yeah, it's really kind of an interesting situation because. Uh, you could also then say, well, Yang Wenli doesn't have to take the bait. He could just continue, you know, taking out splinter fleets to just further bleed out Reinhard. But also, Yang can't afford to do that because he doesn't have the ships. He doesn't have the men. He doesn't have the supplies. Like, yeah. like for better or worse, like, he kind of has to take the bait. And I think this is interesting because... Also, he's the one who set up this bait in the first place. Exactly. Knowing that, knowing that he would be baited. Yes. And, like, I, I love that dynamic. And it makes me... So curious and so anxious. I know that you know. know uh, you know. Let's see how this is going. Yeah. And uh, before, but we see, now we're all like, oh man, this big showdown. Until we get to the end of this episode, though. Where Winthal thinks to himself, ah, yes, it's a good plan to have us all just turn around and take out Yang Wenli. What if I don't turn around? Yeah, around yeah. Wenli? Okay, fine. We'll get to that first. Um, I mean, that's yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. no, you missed the entire Hilda stuff. Uh, uh, but, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. But but so we have yes. Yeah, so we'll talk about your thing first. So Rayenthal basically. So as we all suspected, if it wasn't here, it was if it wasn't with Iserlone, somewhere in this battle, somewhere in this war, Rayenthal was going to start thinking. Well, your plan hinges on all of us coming back, you mm-hmm. know. But what if I don't? And we kind of like. Here's the thing. I don't know if Reinthal is actually going to go for that blatant of a betrayal, but I'm very curious, like, what he might try to do. Yeah. Like, and here's the thing is, like, there is a historical precedent for these kind of actions, you know? Like, you know, Waterloo, uh, Sekigahara, like, there are uncounted battles in human history that have gone one way or another because at the last second, like, the reinforcements that could have turned the tides decide not to. And... Yeah. And uh, that can have, like, you know, drastic, you know, consequences. And I'm not, I'm not even saying Roenthal is going to be, like, suddenly, hey, I'm with the FPA now. But, like, I wonder if there's a version of this where Roenthal is, like, you know, uh, 
Uh, sorry. Um, I'm really sorry, uh, Reinhardt. The, the, the reception's really bad here. Oh, my God. You wouldn't believe traffic uh, over here at the Rio base. Wow. It's going to take me a while to get back. I'm so sorry. Uh... You know, like, is there a version of this where, like, Reinhardt just, like, dilly-dallies a little bit, you know, before getting back? And, like, and then it's like, that adds an, another interesting element because initially I thought, even though this is a trap, like, set by both Yang and Reinhardt, I initially think to myself, Reinhardt still holds the general advantage. But if Vrienthal decides maybe to hold back or take a little bit longer, right. does that start to push things back into, into Yang's favor? And, uh, you know, that's where the episode ends. But before we get to that, I did want to get to this one part because I think, once again, it kind of gets into the stuff that, like, I don't think any of us really, like, loves Reinhardt as a person, but we do love him as a character. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have Hilda kind of confronting Reinhardt by himself. And she does, Hilda, she's basically advocating for him to not take the bait. Yeah. Or not only just not take the bait, but she advocates that why doesn't he just win the war already? Right. Like, Yang's fleet can only ever be in one place. Like, you could just make a beeline to Heinesen and capture it and then force him to capitulate. Like, Yang's not, like, Yang's not so patriotic that yeah, should Heinesen be captured. Die fighting. Right. Right. Like, like, Yang's the kind of dude who's rational enough where if you if you capture Heinesen and demand that he surrender. Probably would. As, you know, and, you know, and you promise, you know, the safety of his men and his crew and all that stuff. Like, he probably would surrender quietly. Like, and like. And Hilda kind of correctly guesses, and the only reason you're not willing to do this is because that wouldn't let you beat him. Right. That you, you wouldn't personally beat personal him. You need to win against Yang Wenli, who you've not yeah. been able to win against. Right, and we finally, you know, we, we get the truth of it here. Reinhardt is is prideful. Prideful to a fault. He, his pride will not allow him to exist in a world where he has conquered the galaxy but not defeated Yang Wenli. Mm-hmm. Like, it it burns at him. It <laughs> gnaws at him. Like this idea that Yang Wenli off here, just this this enigmatic, mysterious man, like this 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 cold blooded plague of the uh, upon the empire, is you know probably he's probably smirking and laughing as he Are destroys my fleets. You know, like probably probably dancing with ladies and not you know laid up in bed with a cold. <sighs> Uh, you know, I bet, you know, I bet, I bet Reinhardt when he had that cold was like, Ugh, I bet Young never gets sick. <laughs> I bet Young when Lee never gets sick. Ugh, I hate him so much. But, uh, <laughs> but yes, it's just, it's just, <laughs> just like Reinhardt could have won this war already. Like, like it just, he cannot. It just can't can't, can't do it without. Winning, you know. Yeah, like, like it's not a win unless he's drawn blood, and like, I again, I, I know this is baseless speculation, but I've been baselessly speculating about this since season one, <laughs> and I think, I think we are seeing that it is in fact getting worse. That yeah. Reinhardt's bloodlust is slowly spiraling out of control. Like he still manages to keep it on top of things, and I think a lot of that isn't thanks to Hilda's influence, but like, yeah. And, and, you know, the ghostly apparitions of Kirky Eyes showing up every now and then to be like, Hey, Reinhardt, don't, don't kill kids. 
I'm serious. Don't don't fucking do it. It's bad. Uh, yeah, but, um, but uh, orders, uh, Hilda to stay behind on this one. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it kind of dangerous. Yeah, I mean, for all Reinhardt set. Here's the thing. Here's the thing that I. I'm sorry. I keep baselessly speculating, but one more. Reinhardt says like. He's telling Yang, like, you know, good luck. I'm behind nine firewalls or whatever, you know? Like, you're never going to, you know, hit me. And there's a part he's like, oh, but what if Reinhardt's pride... Like, what happens if Yang, Reinhardt's pride demands, no, I need to actually, like, trade shots with Yang Wenli? I, like, think, I think it's possible. Like, what happens if Reinhardt... Like, what happens if Reinhardt thinks the battle is going well? Like, what happens if, we, if Yang Wenli pulls the whole, haha, you thought you were beating the shit out of me, but getting the shit beat out of me was part of my plan. Was like, oh my god, Sniper, and it's right here! Yeah, <laughs> exactly! What if... I mean, it's what, like, if Yang, what if Yang pulls the old, oh shit, the Hyperion's out in the front lines, like... And fucking Reinhardt's like... You know, he decides, fuck this, I'm going in. Yeah, you know, like I don't know, like I don't know, would he fall for it? Like if oh, I never no. thought Royenthal would be dumb enough to fall for it, but apparently he was. So <laughs> anything's possible. Uh, but uh, yeah, all, all that speculation aside, that is a uh, that is another th- another three episodes of Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Yeah, um, um we're ramping up to the finale of season two. Yes, uh, yes. So. Do we just want to? We haven't set things in stone yet, but I figure you know maybe talking it out here in front of our audience maybe uh, will help us arrive at what we're going to do for uh, Legend yeah. of the Glory of Heroes episode eighteen. We're I'm not sure if we're doing two episodes of two or one episode or a three and a one or just a four episode podcast. Yes, because like we we as of this recording, we've only watched up to episode fifty. Uh, yes. And- my understanding is season two ends with episode 54. Uh, Correct. And unlike, I mean, maybe it'll be like season one where conveniently turned out that the last two episodes work together as their own thing. Uh, yeah, but we, we don't know for sure. And, and as a result, we're not sure when that puts our season two finale podcast where we, you know, yeah. likely bring in some guests to, uh, to join us. Um, It'll either be episode 18 or 19. <laughs> yes, great. so that's something to look forward to for all of you guys. You know, you might think, well, why not just do the whole four? And it's like, well, if you're listening to this podcast, you you know that we can talk 90 minutes about just three episodes. If you listen to our season one finale podcast, that thing was like oh, two and a half hours. Three and a half hours. Like three hours and like <laughs> like if we throw in four episodes plus a you know, final thoughts, you know, conversation, up, like, yeah. you know, you that might be, podcast. you might be listening to Legend of the Glory of Heroes for like five hours straight. No, no, uh, beautiful to our beautiful voices. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Hey, if, if you're like the person who's all like, yeah, shoot that shit into my veins. I want, I want them to talk about, you know, the flowers of Ezerlone and how Kirky eyes is a bad lover. Then sure. Sure. By all means, let us know. But, you know, we're just we're just trying to think for you know we're just looking out for you guys here. So I think one way or another, uh, we will have decided by the next podcast. Um, yeah, uh, whether we are going to do two and two or just all four in one single go. Uh, I think that'll really depend on the content of these episodes. Yeah, uh, I think current plan know. is watch two episodes and then decide what the hell we're doing. But yeah, that's know. do you have that's a, probably going to try. 
if you people who have watched the show already in the comments have any thoughts. Yeah, if- about what is the best, like, setup for us here? Like, you know, we're, we're all ears, you know, like, don't spoil anything, but, yeah. you know, we're certainly... You know, we're certainly uh, curious to know what people's thoughts are on the best way to take down these last four episodes. But uh, with that said, uh, I think we're going to call this a podcast. So um, as always, you can – the podcast is on Podbean, which I think as a result means it's on iTunes, Spotify. um, Play. Yes, all these other sorts of services. uh, You know, download, stream, leave a review. You all know the deal. Uh, you can also find the podcast on YouTube, along with uh, our sister podcast, The Glorio Chat. You can uh, listen to the podcast and read uh, anything else we write about when we remember to write things on thegloriablog.com. You can follow us at The Glorio Blog on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, don't forget, you can watch uh, Legend of the Gl- <laughs> watch Legend of the Galactic Heroes um, on High Dive and VRV. Yeah, watch the show. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. If you're uh, if you're listening to episode seventeen of Legend of the Glory Heroes, it's still one, huh? Seventeen. I wonder, uh, <laughs> I wonder if we should check this up. Ep- I wonder if I should check this anime out. Uh, then, uh, yeah, you can do that on High Dive. So you know, maybe take a look. But uh, I think that's all their housekeeping. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as always, thank you for listening, Eero. Thank you for accompanying me on this journey. Thank you. You know, uh, it's it's like I said, man. Seventeen episodes. You know, it's uh, you do the math. If each one's like ninety minutes, you know, we done like we have talked too many hours about this show. But you know, it's uh, it's been a hell of a ride, and I think and we still got a not even <laughs> we, still got, <laughs> we still got roughly fifty two percent of that road left ahead of us. Uh, you know, you know, barring you know, fucking you know, when we decide to announce Legend of the Glorious Heroes Guy Den. And Legend of the Glorious Heroes Golden Wings. No, please. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, I look forward to doing uh, another, based on this math, uh, 20 episodes with you. <laughs> uh, yes. But, uh, yeah, so uh, until next time, I will see you all amongst the sea of stars. Bye.